There's no uh, neutrality, bro. There is no neutrality. And the older I get, the more I look back on old news and old reporting and realize that never really has been. decided amongst ourselves that we should start a podcast and that brings up the question of why in the world would we want to do that and why in the world would you want to start a podcast with me i don't have an answer you don't no answer to that god why would i ever want to start a podcast with you i don't know we we very sarcastically and playfully contradict each other and at the same time, come up with some pretty awesome common ground and some uh, perspective on life in this 21st century world and how it affects Christianity and especially Western Christians, which we are part of. Oh, you're the philosopher and the theologian. I'm just the practical engineer who thinks way too realistically. <laughs> I can dig that. I can dig that. I, you know, that's one of the things that I like about you is that I, I think your practicality, your pragmatism helps balance my pure idealism. So I can come in and say, oh, wouldn't it be great if this? And you're like, yeah, but. <laughs> <laughs> Always the contrarian, dude. Always the contrarian. I'm talking about you or me. Yes. Uh, I think that's why we both have uh, so much interesting conversation and debate in that uh, Soteriology 101 Facebook group. That's a um, fun environment for the two uh, for our personalities. Oh my goodness, yes. So yeah, speaking of soteriology, um, I do believe we have some slight differences, to say the least. You are a um, zero-point Calvinist, if, if I understand correctly. Uh, maybe a point .5. Zero point point .5. Oh, we're making progress already. Fantastic. Not What's... really. Not really. No, you, you don't believe the saints will be made into preserves? Oh, yeah. Just not from the perspective of Tulip Doctrine. Oh. <laughs> so, point .5. Point .5. <laughs> All right. Well, hey, you know what? That can round up to one. And so you're 20% of the way there. Five, it's not a point four nine. <laughs> so, at, and that's that's another thing that, uh, at least from my perspective, I think it's fun to have a podcast with somebody that I can agree with on so much and yet disagree with on so much, but where we agree is so much more important than where we disagree. Absolutely. And being able to come uh, into the conversation and... Um, kind of show, in a sense, other people, hey, we can have these disagreements and we can still recognize each other, not as heretics, but as brothers. Absolutely. And that's one thing that has really turned off to some of the discussion groups, not even just online. Some of the discussion groups online, because everybody gets so focused on the weeds and we're not perfect. 
I did the same thing with you when we first met years and years ago. Uh, but once we got to know each other and addressed our differences in a calm, loving, Christ-like manner, we realized that, eh, it's important differences that we should discuss and potentially come to agreement on at some point in our lives, if not in eternity. But... The foundation, as you like to put it, the foundation of that house we're building on the rock is there in common. Some of the framing may look different. The uh, roof and the tiles on the roof definitely are way far different. But the commonality is what's important because it makes us both Christians born again in the blood of Christ. So that's all that really matters. And that's what we do and need. And apply yeah. to the world we live in. Yeah, so let's let's start applying this theology. All right, so what uh, what's going on in your world, in Alex's world of uh, politics and, and whatnot, where theology really, really needs to be applied better? Yes. <laughs> well, first and foremost, I am at root a libertarian. Uh, that has shifted from a very... Typical Republican, yeah. not a rhino kind of Republican, but a hardcore conservative Republican. Four to six years ago, to the point now, they kind of disgust me as much as the entire left, uh, American left do, at least politically, you know, not as people. Uh, people don't disgust me. People's actions sometimes do. Um, yeah, so I look at the political world through the lens of a socially conservative libertarian socially conservative meaning uh abortion is murder that can be objectively described as such there are positions i hold personally that are based on my christian beliefs that because of my libertarian political ideology the constitution does not allow for a christian theocracy i state but I disclaim that I understand our uh, country is based on a document that allows for freedom of religious uh, expression that includes stuff I don't agree with. So while my preferred idealistic world would be a Christ-centered theocracy, that's not the world we live in. So in public discourse and in positions I formally present in front of other people, I tend to steer clear of it because it doesn't fit within the framing of the Constitution. So, that said, anything I say is not in defense of Trump, even if it sounds like it is. This You, you asked specifically about our political... <laughs> the impeachment, based on the reasons they are trying to impeach him, is a joke and a sham. There are legitimate reasons he could be impeached. Uh, shockingly enough, the Democrats have steered clear of those reasons, uh, like the plague. It's almost as if they themselves would be implicated in some of those reasonings. Mm. 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 On, on that, and I'm just, you know, high-level newspaper headline kind of touching on points right now. IG report that came out last week is interesting because already it's being spun as praising the FBI for non uh, nonpartisan and non-biased actions 
And for the first time ever, the FISA, the senior judge for the FISA court, has spoken up criticizing the FBI based on that thing. <laughs> so, which is true. Is this judge a moron who didn't read the report? Or are all the pundits and the, the Monday morning quarterbacks and the keyboard warriors online and on TV talking head news wrong? I mean, you know, you got objective facts somewhere. Which is it? Yeah. Fun fact, Virginia just flipped hard to a supermajority in one of their houses. I forget whether it's a House or Senate. Got a Democrat elected or re-elected as governor run both houses of their Congress and are passing legislation to totally ban firearms to make any martial art training a felony crime. It's a, it's a hate crime. <laughs> Not even that. <laughs> it is a felony crime to teach even one-on-one martial arts. And, you know, they, they, they did it to stop this is all speculation, but the, the thinking is they did it to stop things like private militia training and yeah. uh, firearm training and stuff like that. But the way it was worded, even Taekwondo instructors are going to be committing a felony if they teach a class because you know, I don't have the articles in front of me that uh, read out the specific language in the bill, but because the way it's written, any severe injury or death any, any activity, any training that can result in severe injury or death of a person is now a felony. <laughs> so, <laughs> now, 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 help me remember, uh, Virginia is where the governor said on a radio interview that a baby can be born, placed on the table, and then a discussion can be had with the mother as to whether or not that baby should live. Same state. Sa- yeah. Same state, same, same. governor. And and martial arts <laughs> right. is, is too violent. Yeah, exactly. Okay, so okay, uh, this like that sure. kind of hypocrisy, you know, uh, and we see it from the left and the right. Uh, it's being so blatantly exposed right now on the left because of their emotional response over the last three or four years to Trump, you know, orange man bad attitude, to the point where... A couple of years ago, within a year of Trump being elected, a group of psychologists came out with a formal diagnosis of stress, kind of like a PTSD-type stress related specifically to Trump. It, it yeah. is just absurd. And the, the emotional state of the left right now just makes their hypocrisy so much more blatant. Now, you still get it just as much from the right. But they're basking in their wins with Trump to the point that, you know, they're blinded to it. It's not as blatant to see as the stuff we're seeing with the whole impeachment and the uh, IG report and all that. Virginia's governor uh, you know, wanting to use the um, national, the state's national guard to force police officers to enforce these laws they're passing. He has legitimately said in, uh, now it's not official quotes because it was captured off the record, but he has even stated he's willing to fire, uh, pass legislation to fire law enforcement officers and chiefs of police and uh, sheriffs if they want to enforce these new laws. 
<laughs> and the National wow. Guard has already come out and said, yeah, we're not doing that for you. So it's, <laughs> it's, it's kind of a power trip that they just don't realize how much they have inflamed the people. And based on polling, I think this whole impeachment and Mueller report and uh, IG report situation has done the same thing nationally because polls show that Trump beats anyone he goes up against in a landslide. And that is going to translate the way 2016 did into local wins for the Senate and House. So this yeah. we had in 2018 from uh, Republican to Democrat majority. You know, as a libertarian, I don't like either one of them, but I kind of laugh at the Democrats right now with, with the thinking that they are beating Trump and keeping him from getting his agenda done because he's going to sweep Unless something crazy changes between now and next November, he's going to sweep both houses and get elected again. And probably the biggest, uh, one of the biggest, if not the biggest landslide in uh, POTUS election history. So, so the Democrats right now are Edward Norton in Fight Club, just constantly beating on themselves, thinking they're winners. Yeah. <laughs> and at the end... They don't win by their alternate personality blowing up all the uh, all the bad guys. <laughs> so as as a libertarian, I, I think you bring an interesting um, view to this. I'm I still would consider myself more independent in that there's not enough in the Republican Party or the Libertarian Party, and certainly not the Democrat Party, to attract any sort of consistent loyalty. So I kind of bounce around, and, and, and I think maybe sometimes you kind of float in that uh, uh, space a little bit as well. But as more of a libertarian, how do you approach this dichotomy that we have? Because you're you're constantly the ignored middle ground in, in a lot of ways, whereas everybody is like, well, you got to pick one or the other. So uh, two things there. One, uh, ideologically, I'm a libertarian, but I did not vote for Gary Johnson in 2016. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> Johnson was as useless a vote as Trump or Hillary Clinton was. But on to the primary point of your question. So yeah, kind of I'm, I call myself a libertarian. I, I adhere to the libertarian ideologies, taxation theft, non-interventionist in foreign affairs, you know, private uh, capitalist society more than public, but I'm a minarchist. I am not an anarchist because anarchy uh, to me is as much a pipe dream as real communism or real socialism. So, yeah, from that perspective, my point in social discord discourse is an attempt to, as quickly as I can, expose the false dichotomy presuppositions of people I'm talking with and get them to expose what they believe about me based on what I've already said. So that I can then discredit that presupposition and move on with the reality of the situation. And more times than not, it ends up turning into uh, people tossing ad hominems because they don't know how to debate logically or factually. And it's just a worthless conversation. And it took me a lot of interaction with you and the people who comment on your posts on social media oh boy. Uh, to get to the point where... I would just take the attitude that you do and bow out when there is absolutely no chance of uh, legitimate discourse. But yeah, so 
my my focus in public discourse and you know in today's world it happens more on social media than anywhere else combined right yeah, yeah. Uh, is an attempt to trigger a conversation and some people call it trolling but to me trolling is literally only going for an emotional response without any actual discourse right i want the emotional response so people don't hide behind their political correctness or their polite facade and give me their real beliefs or give yeah. me their real opinions of me or what they think they understand of me. So I can then go and say, no, this is what I believe. It's totally different than what you said I do. Uh, it's totally different than what you presupposed. Oh my gosh. When I, when I have commented on the impeachment or the Instagram, uh, the, not Instagram, IG, <laughs> uh, the Inspector General report, People are like, oh, you're a Trumpite. You, 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 are a Trump fan. Blah blah. Well, no, not really. Didn't vote for him. Can't really stand his personality. Really disagree with a lot of his policies. But I am going to defend constitutional direction of our government and our country. And when an impeachment is based on an orange man bad, we can't stand him. We don't want him to beat us in the next election. Versus yeah. real impeachable offenses which exist but are nowhere to be found in the impeachment articles. I tend to try to cut to the chase on my interactions. So yeah. a lot of people end up accusing me of being unchristlike, but it's based on this belief, this American cultural belief that real Christians are these humble, meek people who basically are pacifists and let everybody else run over them, right? Oh, it's like it's like Bodie Bauckham said. We believe in the eleventh commandment: "Thou shalt be nice," and we don't believe in the first ten. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, I don't believe in that eleventh commandment. <laughs> yeah, and uh, people get frustrated and call me unchristian when I adhere to the first ten. Now, I do get sarcastic to the point of in polite inside the halls of a church conversation people would be appalled by it but that's cultural you know that's that's yeah. that's not biblical i'm sure people have been appalled at some of the conversations you and i have had in bible study <laughs> yeah oh but, yeah we, we didn't know, say we, that earlier we're in the same bible study class so yeah. we we have these kind of interactions regularly on the daily not just in bible study we're not a sunday only kind of conversation so would you would you say that uh, rather than being a troll in in that sense that that you used it that you more uh, lean towards maybe what could be called a satire where you're actually lampooning the view specifically with a point it's yeah. not just to stir the pot and run away but you're actually trying to get down to as you the presuppositions so you're you're a political presuppositionalist yeah exactly and. I've had enough experience with both uh, my degrees in psychology, so I know through formal education how to trigger those emotional responses and get people to address their presuppositions, their cognitive dissonance, their, God, in today's day and age, their confirmation bias more than anything. Oh, there is no news agency out there that just presents facts. It's all confirmation bias, presuppositional positioning. There's no uh, neutrality, bro. There is no neutrality. And the older I get, the more I look back on old news and old reporting and realize there never really has been any sort of neutrality except for, oh, what was the one dude? And this was way before my time. The one guy who got on at night and just read the news, read it off a script. I can't remember his name. Anyway. Nobody remembers him because 
that's how important we no, value actual he, news. No, he was he was the one guy. Uh, people, you know, you're not talking Cronkite, are you? You're not talking about Cronkite, are you? Maybe. Maybe. That may be his name. Anyway, um, professional journalists know him because he was the news back in the 60s and 70s. He'd get on every night and read the news. Now, even then, the news was filtered by the editors, right? So that they were presenting yeah. with the two. But it's not such a blatant confirmation bias like a New York Times piece on the impeachment proceedings that is in the opinion section with a title of opinion article. And it's written as if it's a you know 15-page factual report document from an inspector general, and people take it like the gospel. You know, oh well, here are the facts. Actually, no, that is an opinion article. Yeah, and that's on both sides. So you you, you have to really ingest a lot of facts, a lot of news, a lot of reports from various articles. To get anywhere close to the reality of the scenario, and it can be exhausting because there's so much media out there. You know, the digital age we live in. There's thousands of terabytes of data added to the web every day, so it's ridiculous trying to keep yeah. up with. It. So, so let's let's bring in a kind of a theological angle to this. We talk about no neutrality and how everybody's got their biases and there's confirmation bias and, and all of this. So, as a Christian. Uh, now, not as a libertarian, but as a Christian, uh, with fallen uh, a fallen world, with fallen men and women in this world, can we reasonably expect any level of objectivity? If we can't be at least cognizant of the major factors that make us biased and subjective, and look at things objectively, even if our opinions and our conclusions are not objective. If we can't at least look at things objectively, yeah. what's what's the point of interacting, right? If if everything is through the lens of your presuppositions. So let, let's point. let's stop there for a second though, right? Can you look at anything objectively? Can you set your own presuppositions aside when you're taking in information? I have attempted to over the years. Uh, the more we interact, the more I try to view uh, various subjects more so than any other scripture through the lens of if I agreed with five-point Calvinism. Oh, boy. Here we go. Right. (laughs) Uh, So, and I do the same thing in other areas. Like when I'm having a conversation with a Democrat or a climate extremist, and it's funny because they would call people like you and me the the extremists. Uh, Careful. Right. Climate extremist is time person of the year. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> let's let's just forget that she got called out by the German rail company for sitting in a hallway uh, on a overcrowded train when she had a first class ticket and was eating out of one time use plastic containers that she's all against, except for when it's convenient to use it off camera, right? <laughs> so you know, propaganda like that. When when I interact with people like that. I make a legitimate attempt to understand the world as well as I can without having to live their life, right? You know, everyone's experiences are unique, so we are going to have a different lens than every other person on the in the right. world. But as much as I can attempt to step out of my own experience and objectively look at what they're saying from their point of view, I try to. Now, 
I come in with presuppositions and knowledge and understanding of that knowledge that makes me laugh at some of their beliefs without before I ever even attempt to understand them. But I won't name names because that's just not polite. It gets kind of very personal conversations. When Alabama first passed the uh, new abortion law that's yeah. been stayed, can't be implemented according to the most recent uh, judges ruling. Uh, when that was first passed, there was a lot of heat online about how it was making women slaves and subjecting them to all this and that, and blah, blah, blah. I had this one conversation with a woman, and uh, she was a lawyer. She was defending you know, a woman's right to choose. And I totally missed in the beginning of the conversation that something she was describing was her own personal experience. She was describing a scenario where she, it turned out, but I didn't. I didn't read it that way, had lost a child to a miscarriage. Mm. And she was pretty far along, 26, 28 weeks. It wasn't like a 12-week oh. pregnancy, right? Yeah. Uh, it, it, it was far enough along that she had to have been showing. And she was like, in spite of this, I still agree with it. And I'm, I'm sitting here thinking, but why? You know, and her, her whole argument was that it's a woman's right. Well, it's really not because it's not your body. And she rebutted with the claim that it was a parasite. And I was like, eh. Yeah. Uh, it, you can loosely attribute some functions of the reproductive process to parallel with a parasite. But parasite is a foreign body. That, that's not your reproductive yeah. right? And, and she went on to, well, it's just a clump of cells. Well, not really. So, so are you and me. Right. It's a genetically unique clump of cells that by all scientific and biological factors is a unique human being just early on in its developmental stages. Yep. And she said, well, it may be a human being, but it's not a person. I was like, oh, whoa. So if we're going to attribute personhood based on developmental stage, you don't really believe in the inalienable inherent right to life. So yeah. if you don't believe in constitutional rights, we don't have any common ground to start a conversation on. And she's like, oh, that's not true. I, I can believe in this and still believe in a right to life. No, you, you really logically can't if you think about it. And, you know, when I'm, when I'm having conversations with people like that, I try to understand things from their point of view to a point, right? When I get to the point where logic just gives me no way to view things from their perspective. I bow out of the attempt. But up to that point, once I realized that she was talking about her own personal experience losing a child and her interpretation, it was false, but her interpretation that even a miscarriage could be criminally charged under this law. The wording could theoretically hold to that, but no court would ever allow it to be done. Right. Yeah. So it's just... It's emotion-triggering propaganda to claim that the law would incriminate, you know, unintentional loss of the baby. So, for the most part, I truly do try to be objective. And it's hard. It's very hard. But it's the only way I can even attempt to have conversations with people online. Uh, it's, it's even more difficult in person because you got to deal with the immediacy of... You know, face-to-face contact, being able to recognize their emotional responses versus the anonymity of text conversation online. But yes, everyone has their presuppositions. Yes, everyone has their own unique uh, experience that color how they view things. 
but I really think it's absolutely necessary to at least make the attempt to try to be objective, view things from other perspectives. So that same attempting to view things from other people's point of view objectively and factually versus emotionally and presuppositionally only is how I shifted from a back the blue Republican to a, yeah, I have friends who are police. I understand on an individual basis. They are just people trying to do a job like me, but I don't support police overall at all because they enforce unconstitutional laws on the daily even the good ones. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I support the military, but mo- not military intervention, right? People who yeah. volunteer to put themselves in harm's way, 18-year-old kids who don't have the political knowledge or experience I have sign up for the military are doing so either because they've grown up their whole life in a military family, they've grown up their whole life being patriotic and loving their country and wanting to serve it, or they're just clueless as to how much damage our military has done in the, you know, in the last century, really. And for it, some, it's a way out of poverty, too. Yeah, it's a, it's a way out of poverty. It's a, it's a way to get out of going to jail for adolescent yeah. mistakes. They get in there. They are locked into a term of service. They are trained, and uh, you know, it's, a, it's a very strong word, but indoctrinated to follow the rules, follow orders, and say yes, sir, and do what they're told, they get over to another country and realize a large percentage of them probably because there's over 22 a day committing suicide. And I think it has. I think that suicide rate has a lot to do with them being awoken to what our military is doing in our interventionism overseas. So I absolutely still support military personnel. I do not support our military interventionism. Um, and my shift from hardcore pro-military, pro-law enforcement republicanism to non-interventionist, free market libertarian has been because I listened to people giving me alternative ideas I didn't agree with, staunchly opposed as recently as five or six years ago. Yeah. So I think it's possible because it has changed my outlook personally. Yeah, and – I think you really lay out the the right approach, uh, you know, political presuppositionalism. I practice presuppositional apologetics, and the, the best way to do that is to really step into this worldview, step into this belief and say, if I believe this, how does that apply to this situation? You know, what what does it mean if if I am pro-choice? What does that mean about my view of human life? What does that mean about my view of the scientific evidence uh, for what uh, hum- what it constitutes to be life? You know that that kind of thing. And uh, in presuppositional apologetic circles, we uh, have this uh, phrase that, that you may have heard before called "running the reductio," where you you step into that worldview with that person and. When they say something crazy like, oh, the baby's a parasite, you point out how ridiculous that is. And one of two things typically happens. Either they realize that they're wrong and it, it sort of becomes, as Greg Kokel says, a pebble in their shoe that they, they need to chew on for a little bit. Because very seldomly they'll change their mind immediately. Or they'll move the goalposts. Right? Oh, well, it's not a parasite. It's just a clump of cells. Well, so are you. So am I. So, you know, 
you, you point to how ridiculous that position is, that landing place is, and they go, okay, well, let's land over here somewhere. And just in that process, you've already pointed out the inconsistency. That's yeah. one of the reasons I love social media for these types of discussions is when people post things like this and we have this kind of back and forth, like I don't mind this type of ridiculousness being posted on my page because I like it to be exposed. I like it to be out there in the open so people can look and go, wait, what? Is it, are they serious? Are you serious, Clark? What? You know, and to be able to step into it and find those uh, logical inconsistencies and show them to the other person, point it out to the other person, say, look at it. What's wrong with this picture? And see how they respond. Or, as you said, you step into that view and then you realize, wait a minute, this is actually more consistent than what I was holding to before. This makes more sense, so I'm going to move instead. And when you have that type of exchange, I think it's really helpful in the social media context, not just for the two people who are having the discussion, but for anybody else who's watching along, and they can see this thought evolution take place. Just thought it'd be neat to uh, kind of tie in the, the the application of it specifically uh, in, in that area. But uh, man, I think that's a pretty good. Uh, Pretty good little run for a first show. What you think? Yeah. Uh, so one thing I would like to add in as an outro, God, not really an outro, um, presuppositionally addressing uh, soteriological perspectives and even theological perspectives is why I end up where I am spiritually. Yeah. I have been studying the Bible since uh, I was in diapers because my parents were uh, heavily involved in the church. My mom was involved in the youth group and then the college and career all through my young years. My dad was running the RA's Royal Ambassadors uh, program at the Baptist church we went to when I was a kid. Uh, we moved churches when I got into middle school and uh, he ran this program over there and also helped co-facilitate the basketball and overall sports ministry in the church because he was a big competitive basketball coach for youth league kind of like aau but church leagues yeah and so i have been heavily involved in the church my whole life not a sunday morning or a christmas and easter kind of person definitely the, the polar opposite of that across that time period i have seen every theological camp there could be within the christian church the lutherans Catholics, the various reformed camps that tie back to Calvinist doctrine, Arminians. One I have just recently been exposed to more than just you know grazing past them uh, online is the beliefs of the open theologians. Uh, oh my gosh! Yeah, that's freaky what they try to claim. The pre-mills, the post-mills, the A-mills for Revelation. Eschatology. Yeah. So uh, I, I've been exposed to it all. And I went on enough mission trips as a kid that I was also formally taught belief systems of Muslims, of uh, the LDS uh, Mormons. 
uh, several other groups like that for mission trips so that we could, you know, do a apologetic conversations with them, their beliefs versus what true Christ-centered uh, Christianity is based on. And in addition to that, my nerdy scientific and math nature makes me focus a lot on how all of that fits within the world we live in, right? Yeah. Uh, so for me, none of the camps, none of them fit what I see in Scripture. You know, every one of them has flaws when I read Scripture. So the apologetic perspective is interesting to me, but it presupposes too much, in my opinion. So that's that's where we are going to dig into the weeds over these podcasts in the applied section. Uh, yeah. Uh, that that should make for an interesting podcast going forward. And I hope not to dominate the way I have today because, well, I can guarantee I've had two-thirds of the time here talking. I'll try to make sure that doesn't happen in the future. But uh, that worldview is what gets me most opposed to Reformed theology. It just doesn't yeah. logically make sense to me uh, based on things I understand about time, uh, about scientific facts we have about the world. You know, some people, uh, yeah, well, exactly. Right? <laughs> some some Reformed people uh, ca uh, counter with, well, those same facts tell us the world is 12 billion years old, not 6,000 years old, and that we evolved from a primordial ooze. Well, those are theories, right? There are scientific and mathematical facts. And yeah, but so is gravity. That's a theory. <laughs> <laughs> so the, the facts, yeah. the demonstrable, the repeatable, the un- controvertible facts of science and math that we know are what I utilize in my perspective that makes me just say, ah, reform doesn't make sense to me. Yeah. So that, that's that's where our argumentative conversations in future podcasts will come. Yeah. Well, I, th I think it's good that you bring some of your background into it so, so people can know more about you. Right. I know probably a, a good number of the people who will listen to this uh, probably heard me on my last podcast so they're probably okay with me not talking as much <laughs> but for those who don't know um i was not raised in a christian home like uh, like you are alex i was actually not raised in a two-parent home i was raised by a single mom who had me when she was 19 and she got married when i was 12 so if you can imagine the fun of being a 12 year old boy Imagine a brand new father figure coming in and taking over around that time. That was me. Uh, in, in between those times, uh, my my dad had gotten married and had uh, my two younger sisters uh, before that. With uh, oh, sorry, my dad was uh, is ordained in the Mormon Church, the LDS Church. Now they don't like to be called Mormons, and he married uh, as I affectionately refer to her as a Jew from Long Island. Both of them were nominal. Neither one of them were uh, explicitly practicing, uh, except I can remember celebrating Hanukkah with them from time to time for, for a short period of time. But they got married when I was young and uh, had my sisters. Uh, then my mom got married, and, and she's probably best described as a backsliding Unitarian. 
Uh, she'll describe herself as a druid. You know, it just depends on what mood she's in, what button she wants to push. Uh, I wonder where I get it from, right? Yeah. <laughs> no idea. And she she married a guy who was raised in a very um, legalistic, uh, kind of fundamentalist Baptist type background. Um, and that led to uh, no small amount of conflict uh, early on. Uh, I think I was saved in high school. I had that emotional experience at a revival, the Southern Baptist Church, you know, prayed the prayer, walked the aisle, you know, got baptized. That's when uh, I actually got baptized. Uh, but there was so little discipleship, uh, so little follow through with any of that. Um, it, it's as though it didn't take. Uh, and some would say it wasn't a genuine conversion. Others would say I was genuinely converted. But God let me go for a little bit. Or not like let me go, but a- allowed me to experience the folly that is sin. And uh, about seven years ago now, my wife, of 15 years, who uh, is a primitive Baptist, or was raised primitive Baptist, so that gives you a nice little round uh, <laughs> roundabout view of uh, my theological influences. Um, we uh, had some issues, and that's when I really started to dig into theology. Um, I was challenged on what I believe and how I was living it out, how I was applying my theology on the daily, and it's really been in those last seven years that I've really just jumped in headfirst and studied. And whereas I came out of it more reformed, definitely Calvinistic, um, I would um, look at a, a guy like you and anybody listening and say, even though I believe the, the tulip doctrine, as you call it, the five, uh, five points of Calvinism, the doctrines of grace are true, I wouldn't want anybody to believe it just because I said so or just because my argument sounded good. If you don't see it in Scripture, I don't want you to believe it. The same reason why I can get along with my Presbyterian brothers. We agree on so much theology, especially in the Reformed camp, but I can't get down with that infant baptism thing. Yeah, that baby sprinkling just ain't. Yeah, I, but yeah. We, we can coexist because they recognize if I don't see it in Scripture— I shouldn't believe it, and, and so that's that's kind of my uh, outlook on, on things. Is if if I can show it to you in Scripture, great. Uh, if the Holy Spirit illuminates it in your heart, even better. But bottom line, if you don't see it, if you don't recognize it as true, it's disingenuous to to say that you believe it. In, in my view. Uh, uh, one last thing on yep. uh, the objective perspectiveing and your theological background. Knowing what I do of your background, tying that into my attempt to objectively look at beliefs, if I had your background, I would probably be right where you are soteriologically, right? I understand the process you've gone through over the last seven years, especially since the uh, problems you and Jess had. The first time you told me that scenario, I was just like, your, your whole position makes sense to me from your perspective. Yeah, still don't believe it because of my perspective. But if I was you, I could totally see myself understanding Scripture from the Tulip Doctrine perspective, uh, because God drug you back into uh, you know faithful communion with Him, right? Uh, so I can see where that led you to the Tulip Doctrine being the perspective through which you read Scripture. I just don't see it. <laughs> 
And that's okay. You can be wrong for now. <laughs> L- listen, I've already got you rounded up to a one-point Calvinist. I'm sorry, the Holy Spirit has already got you rounded up to a one-point Calvinist. Oh my gosh, it burns. <laughs> Coffee's still hot in my Yeti cup. One <laughs> time This episode sponsored by Yeti. <laughs> Not really, but hey, Yeti, if you want to sponsor us, we'll take your money. <laughs> <laughs>